We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the buzzer. In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake, shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast, Setting the Pace. I'm Alex Cole, enjoy with Michael Fachi, and we've got Kalen Cooper back on the pod. And this is gonna be a fun because Kalen has done some great research and looking at how the Pacers could add a second star to this team and Pascal Siakam and how he would fit with the Pacers and the pros and cons of doing that. So Caitlin, obviously kind of setting it up there. There's a lot of back and forth from Pacer fans on should they or should they not go after Pascal Siakam? And we kind of saw against the Celtics, we're recording this before they played their second game on Monday, how they kind of lacked that second star. But just your overall thoughts based on what you've seen in the fan base's reaction is to Pascal Siakam. I mean, I, I probably not as plugged in with the fan base as you guys are since that you're doing a regular podcast and I'm not anymore, but it seems overall that there's not like an overwhelming appetite for it. Um, is that fair to say? Like, it seems to me that most people don't want to overpay quote yeah. unquote for Pascal. And I I would counter with that, that I, I don't think this front office would overpay for Pascal Siakam. They're afraid of a rental. That's the big thing. Pascal for four months, giving up assets maybe for the future that could be a part of this team long term that's kind of the what i've heard the most from fans is just their their fear of pascal walking in free agency 
And what I would say to that is um, between the Pacers and the Hawks, who both seriously talked to Toronto over the summer and what the reporting is, is that Pascal communicated to both teams that he wouldn't be willing to sign an extension. It's possible his mind has changed since then. I know that Adrian Wojnarowski had a report during the in-season tournament that it seemed like the Pacers were confident that somebody was going to be willing to re-sign with them at the forward positions. I don't know who. That whatever team trades for Pascal, I would imagine is going to be doing it with confidence that they would stay. If he's not going to stay, I don't think the Pacers are making that trade. I'll just and- put it that way. And that was going to be my question to you is like, how risky is Indiana willing to get it? Because, you know, we hear Toronto wants a young player, like, like our, our another promising player. Could that be a Jarris Walker? Could it be a Benedict Matherin? I bet they would want one of those. But is Indiana willing to gamble and give up a player that could be here for years to come? That to me, I, I just feel is a little bit too bold of a move. But when you see Siakam and you talk about Siakam, that feels to be the shiniest object, the biggest name. That That's the one that everybody's talking about is, hey, the Pacers, they got to go out and get him because you don't know who else could be available. Can we talk a little bit about how we feel his fit could be with the Pacers? Yeah, I mean, I, I watch the Raptors a fair amount because I do some collaborations up there with a few writers and we do podcasts after the Pacers play those games. And I did some over the summer as well. And I think that headed into the season, just to provide a little bit of context, I'm not completely convinced that the Raptors were convinced that he was still going to be on the roster, at the very least that the coaching staff was. Because when you look at the first seven games, his role was a little bit whack. It didn't make a lot of sense. Like if people search on my Twitter account and you just look up like um, all NBA player burn cutter, like they were running a lot of 0.5 second offense out of Euro ball screen continuity. And there's times where Pascal as an all NBA caliber player was just used being used as like a 45 cutter to clear space so that they could play. DHOs with Scotty up through the corner. And obviously Scotty Barnes is having a tremendous start to the season. He's far exceeded what I expected from him, even as being somebody who likes his game and thought that they should probably build with him as the future going into last summer. So for like roughly those seven games, he wasn't getting a lot of post touches. Not very much of the offense was oriented around him. And then from there on, there's been more of an effort to get him the ball in some of his more advantageous touch spots. So things have looked better for him. He did not shoot the ball well above the break to start the year. That's kind of started to turn around a little bit, but that's a concern that I know a lot of fans bring up to me, at least on Twitter. And I'll be like, you know, is this going to be good for the Pacers five out offense? If you're trying to incorporate Pascal into it and, I think that that's somewhat of a fair question because how he looked in those first seven games, they were running a lot of similar things to what the Pacers run. So is he going to be able to find his own usage within that? I think that's fair. But as far as like the shooting goes, if you're acquiring Pascal Siakam with the idea that he needs to be shooting above the break threes or that he's going to be shooting those on high volume, then you shouldn't be making that trade. Like that That's not what you're getting Pascal Siakam for. You're getting Pascal Siakam because he's very good at finding advantages along the way of his path and operating out of the mid-range. He's very good in the post at, at going at mismatches. Like I, I, don't, I don't know what the trade machinations would be, but it's really easy to get excited thinking about somebody like Buddy Heald setting a ghost screen for him and leaking out to the top of the key and what Pascal would be able to do with that out of empty side pick and roll actions. He can really thrive in those spots. And like what we brought up on the last podcast where we were talking about how Drew Holiday was literally just face guarding Tyrese on the logo and not caring what the other four people do. 
if you can throw the ball to Pascal there, he draws help a lot. He's able to manipulate that help, especially when people double him from the bottom, which is going to be a lot more likely to happen playing for the Indiana Pacers than it would for the Toronto Raptors. He's going to have spacing around him here that he would not, he has not seen in recent times playing for those lineups. So I think that there's a strong case and argument that you can make that the pieces around him here at the very least would be complimentary, though you might have some questions schematically about how he would plug directly into some of their actions, given what his role was like at the beginning of the year for Toronto. And I think one reason you have to really look at this trade too, is like, where do you feel like this Pacers team is at in terms of where like they stand across the rest of the Eastern conference? Because right now I think they're eighth, but they're tied with the same record for like three or four other teams. And it's one of those things where you feel like, okay, this team could be potentially hosting a home playoff series, or they could be in the plan. And they're and it's right there neck and neck with like New York and Miami and Cleveland. We we've seen them, you know, play well against some of these teams. Orlando's in the mix as well. But that to me is kind of like what makes this a, a tough decision because we've heard Chad Buchanan talk about how this team wanted to kind of take it slow, not rush the rebuild. But then at the same time, when you have an opportunity to add someone like this with the way Tyrese has kind of elevated this team's overall play. It does make you feel like, okay, well, if we can beat the Bucks four out of five times, I mean, how good are we and how deep could we be in this playoff if we made a playoff run? Could we have an Atlanta Hawks type moment where we get to the Eastern Conference Finals if things break our way? So I don't know if you feel that same way about this roster as currently constructed, but does adding someone like Pascal really kind of take Indiana another step forward in terms of beating some of these teams that are kind of in that same realm as them? Maybe not like Boston or, or Philly, but the rest of the Eastern Conference, do you feel like adding Pascal, you, you would feel like the Pacers could actually win a seven-game series against them. Yeah, I mean, I think that when Chad made some of his comments prior to the season about talking and and Rick Carlisle to an extent when he was like, hey, we're trying to win, but we also want to take steps forward in development, I think that Tyrese changed that calculus a bit. I mean, when he comes out and is legitimately playing like an MVP candidate and you have the greatest offense of all time and you're number one in the half court for a long stretch there, I think that that adjusts what your thinking is to a degree. And especially because... I don't want to say that you'd be wasting it, but like, I think we can all point and see that like they play a team like Orlando and try as you might, they can run like a, a two man action at the top of the key. And Andrew Nemhard might take the perfect recovery angle and buddy might come double Paolo Bancaro right away. And I'm listening to the Orlando broadcast and they're like, there's black shirts all around Bancaro. And then Bancaro still scores. And then their color commentator responds and says, yeah, but they're all size small. I mean, there's so many actions that you can watch time. and see that, like, I've, I would describe it this way, and I have, before they made the starting lineup change. It's like they're trying to cover a king-size bed with a twin-size sheet. And I've seen the coaching staff over the last two years make a lot of adjustments to the defense, and the defense still is what it is. And so I know people will be like, is this going to be a needle mover necessarily for the Pacers with OG or with Siakam? And I'd be like, well... I think OG's been a pretty big needle mover for the Knicks so far since he's come over and, and helping their defense, and in part because he's made people have a lot more natural roles. And I think if you find somebody at the four spot who can do some of that, it would adjust and make everyone else slot a little bit more naturally because you can see that to a degree even just with I, – I don't think Jalen Smith is the long-term answer at the four, particularly in the playoffs for the reasons we said on the last podcast. He and Miles have played two minutes together in the fourth quarter. But when you can play Aaron Neesmith at the three and you can play Andrew Nemhart as your as your point of attack defender, again, depending upon who would be going out in a trade, things make more sense. So the one thing I will say about Pascal is if I'm the front office, I would be 
trying to watch as much defensive film of his his as I can, and that's going to be difficult because there's been some of it a soul tax for the Toronto Raptors where I wouldn't say they quiet quit, but they've kind of quiet quit on defense prior to that trade where they should be better defensively than what they are, and Pascal's role with the Raptors would be a lot different than his role here because Scotty is better at what role Pascal needs to have than what Pascal is. So Scotty's operating in the lower half of the defense a lot for the Raptors and kind of doing more of the Romer role, which is what Pascal's strength is. But with the Raptors, Scotty is doing that. So Pascal's defending out on the perimeter a lot more. And that's kind of some of the areas where he has shown some of the age in his game where I don't think that's never been like his number one trait, but he's not as good as it as he once was. So with the Pacers, he would be able to be doing more at the four and what would be more natural to him than what he's doing up there. But I do think that there has been some drop off in his defense. So that's something that you'd have to be considering because that was always the difference between he and OG. OG is one of the most positionalist defenders in the NBA. He's much younger. So he fits the timeline of the Pacers. He could potentially still grow with them. Pascal, is older than OG, obviously, and I do think that his defense has shown a little bit of signs of, of um, I wouldn't say deterioration, that's too harsh of a word, but it's it's just not exactly where it was when he was at his best as a defender. So, But what you're getting out of him is, is an all-NBA caliber scorer, creator, somebody who draws help, somebody who's able to find little advantages, get into the mid-range and find baskets on his own without necessarily always having to be set up by Tyrese Halliburton. So that's the two sides of it with him. Great points on the defense and obviously an extremely gifted offensive player. I think that 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 shows on a nightly basis, whether it's, you know, highlights, the box score, whatever. But the the points that you made defensively, you know, that is good to know. Because this is a guy who is going to be turning 30 in April, which, you know, in uh, human being terms, he's still very young. In NBA terms, hey, you got one more last big max contract in you. At this point, if the Pacers are able to make the trade for Siakam, and they are even able to get, you know, assurance that he'll sign in, in an extension. That price tag would start at roughly $40 million per year, just as Tyrese Halliburton's max extension uh, is, is starting. Do you feel that Siakam is the guy that could be worth $40 million plus, Or is it just the next guy that could be available for the Pacers, because you never know who eventually one day becomes available, but you also can't just stay and wait because this franchise has been waiting years for a player of Siakam's caliber. But do you think he's the guy to open up that checkbook for? I think that that's a really great way of putting it because at a certain point in time, the Pacers are going to have to be willing to take a risk and get that player in the door because it's not going to come through free agency, I don't think. And just because of what the NBA landscape has been where more guys are willing to sign extensions and then just ask out later type things, there's Mm -hmm. less free agency to begin with. But you're going to have to be willing to do that and you're going to have to be pretty confident in what their fit with Tyrese is going to be. And I do think that he is going to compliment and take pressure off of Tyrese and vice versa. I like the fit overall. I don't necessarily love the timeline aspect of it. And that's where I would have to really know what's going out. And in part, I think that that's, what's really strange because I won't necessarily roll out the trade machine here, but when I've seen a lot of people talking about this, like why is the asking price higher now than what it would have been over the summer? Like there's, I don't know where you guys land with it, but if you're having to give up two, of Ben, Jarris, and Andrew, that would be a flat no. Yeah, like, I no. But yet, that's what's getting floated out there. And I'm like, that's not even what was discussed in August. So why are we discussing that now? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I saw from, I think it was Sam Bassini. He threw out his fake trade. It was like Buddy Hill, Jairus Walker, Andrew Nimhard, and McConnell. No way. And that's I'm like, you're giving up no. two of our point guards for this? Yeah, I was who, like, who's running offense at that point? And you're not <laughs> – I mean, I – I guess I don't necessarily know from Toronto's standpoint. Obviously, they like having uh, length and forwards, and they've done the whole you know Project Six Nine thing in the past. But I think that Jarris and Scotty's a little bit redundant. My guess is that they're going to want Andrew Nemhard. Yeah. I shouldn't say my guess. I'm I'm pretty certain they're going to want Andrew Nemhard. I think that that's who they wanted to draft uh, when the Pacers took one pick in front of them. That's I think that that's probably who they would want there, but. Um, there's no way that I'm giving up two of the young players uh, mm. in addition to salary matching. I don't even think that's what was discussed in August. So I don't, I don't really understand why the asking price is going up when he has less uh, time on his contract here. So a little strange you, for me. Do you think there's a scenario where the Pacers eventually, or maybe even other teams call Toronto's bluff as the deadline gets very close and it does not look like they're bringing Siakam back. They will have to pay Emmanuel quickly. You got to think that, that that asking price lowers. We did recently hear, whether it's true or not, the Kings seemed to be really interested for about 10 to 20 minutes, whatever it was, uh, before it said they were backing well, out. Why so, even report that? I mean, what was the I point? Only, I, can only I was wondering if he was going to drop some DraftKings odds because the game started. And then, or like the game was going to start within an hour, and then right when the game started, it was like, "Well, the Kings of the Kings are out." And yeah. I guess we can all remember though that the Kings were also out on trading Tyrese and De'Aaron Fox. As yeah. we'll remember, it was reported that they're not going to be moving De'Aaron or Tyrese, and then it turns out they very much were going to be moving Tyrese. So that, that's true. I guess to sum up my question, I would just say the Pacers should most likely have this run down to the deadline in order yeah. to have Toronto get a little bit nervous knowing that I don't think they're going to commit another max contract to Siakam, bring him back when they, they already made it known. They're looking to build around Scotty Barnes. They got RJ Barrett now. They got quickly. They got a, a younger core with a little bit of a different timeline. Does that feel the best approach to take for the Pacers? Yeah, and it's probably, I mean, I, I would guess that the Raptors are probably still going to take a little bit more time and see how things look for them, too, with Quickly and, and R.J. Barrett in the lineup and continue to evaluate what things look like for Siakam. Because by all intents and purposes, it seems like Siakam has quite a few close ties to the Toronto area. If he's telling teams last summer that he wasn't going to sign an extension elsewhere, I don't know where his head's at now and how we would feel about that. But, you know, maybe that gives Toronto a little bit more confidence if they're not I mean, it kind of seems with some of the things that have gone around out there that like maybe they were trying to needle him into wanting to ask out. Like, I don't I don't know that for certain, but stuff has definitely been weird up there, particularly on media day and how it was kind of loosely implied that he was, you know, quote unquote, selfish. I don't think that was directly in reference to him, but they like to throw the selfish word around a lot up there. The other thing for them, though, is, and this is a little bit different because of what they're able to offer Siakam, but like they let Fred walk for nothing last summer. And I'm confident that they probably, I don't think they saw that coming. I think most people thought James Harden was going to be in that slot for the Houston Rockets, and they didn't probably think that money was going to be out there for Fred. But they believed in themselves a little too much last deadline and ended up being buyers for Jakob Pertl. 
and then Fred walks for nothing, which makes things more difficult for them. I'm sure that they're happy that they have quickly now, but I don't think you as a front office can risk doing that twice. And I think that that's probably why they already moved OG because by what it sounds like OG had basically informed them that he wasn't going to be resigning over the summer. So they decided to, you know, listen to what all the final offers were and they took the one from the Knicks If they have similar feelings about what Siakam's going to be doing. I can't see them chancing that again. They can't do that two years in a row. Just flat out. You can't. Yeah, and I think for them too, they have to think: Is Pascal signing a, a max extension or whatever worth what they were trying to do exactly. in terms of their team building? So, is he the right guy that they want to continue to build around at that position with Scotty, with RJ, with Emmanuel, and all the other players they can involve in that trade? Well, or... yeah, because what's their ceiling? Because like I, yeah. I still think that I view them as being a team that like, yeah, maybe they get into the playing tournament, maybe they get into the playoffs. But mm-hmm. I think that their roster certainly makes more sense. I think that their half court offense will make more sense with the trades that they moved. But there's a tax to that. I mean, DeMontis Sabonis has, as we know from watching him play the Toronto Raptors, that was the best team that defended Sabonis in his time mm-hmm. with the Pacers. And they played the Kings the other night, and Sabonis had one of his you know, classic triple-doubles racked up points because OG wasn't there to guard him anymore. Yeah. So um, that's going to be a factor for them. But I, I think that I agree with you, Alex, that, like, yeah, you'd have to definitely be considering, like, is this worth it for us to continue to test out this core given what Pascal's age is going to be and whether it just needs to fully be the Scotty Barnes era moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, would, would Andrew Nimhard be a non-starter for you if you're the Pacers? I know you're really big on Andrew, but – if you're the Pacers trying to get this four that could help you go deeper into the playoffs, would you be willing to give up on someone in a second year like Andrew Nimhard? Um, the only reason I would maybe say that you would consider it is because you do already have your point guard situation locked up here with Tyrese. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pascal makes it a little bit easier because if you get into situations where, like we've pointed out, where Tyrese is being schemed out, you can do some initiation with Pascal. Um, yeah, I really like Andrew. I mean, I, I would think about it pretty long and hard. And, and and like I said, it would have to be coming with assurances from Pascal that he would be staying. 
and it definitely would not be two of the young players. There's no way that it, there's no way that it would be Andrew and Jarris or Andrew and Ben or Ben and Jarris. Like any combination of that would be a flat no if I was the person in charge. I completely agree. I, I even think that giving up on Jarris Walker before you ever really gave him a chance, I, I think is just it's too much of a bold move. And obviously, I understand that if you bring in Siakam and it all works out, Jarris Walker is likely never going to reach his full potential as an Indiana Pacer. But there, you're also not going to get Siakam for some of the trades that you do see on, on social media, which might be Buddy, McConnell, and Inuora. Maybe there's a pick <laughs> in there. You know, that's not going to happen either. So we do know no that pick. something of significance would have to be given up. But we'll talk about Ben Matherin for a second. For for Matherin, who has played better over his last, you know, 10-plus games or so, do you feel that the Pacers do you feel that he could ever truly grow into what the Pacers want him to to be or is it more hey if you have an opportunity to acquire an all NBA player in Pascal Siakam and it doesn't take much more is this then the time that you consider making that type of move if it doesn't also have to include a Jarris Walker and or Andrew Nimhard yeah, I mean, this is definitely going to sound like a cop-out, and I don't mean for it to be, but this is why the timing of this is kind of bad. Because I felt like this season was going to be really important to try, to try to evaluate those things, particularly not pitting Ben and Andrew against each other by any means, but like evaluating how both of them look um, with Tyrese out there, or even both of them at the same time, and having a definitive sense at the end of the year, are these pieces critical to our core? Has one of them established themselves more than the other? Because it always seemed like Ben was going to be in pole position. He was the starter at the beginning of the year, but if he didn't take steps forward and Andrew did, then that was going to be an interesting conversation or vice versa. And I feel like I probably need some more data points because it was good to see Ben. I mean, Ben against the Bucks has been very good this year. That matchup's been very good for him. And, you know, him seeing him in the closing lineup of that game out there with Tyrese and, and TJ and, and OB and Miles was a good inflection point for him. And he certainly had some of those. I do think overall, like, I like to compare him to, like, the trapeze paradox. I think overall that even though his numbers were down to start the year and we can see, we can get on cleaning the glass and be like, oh, the Pacers are worse offensively and defensively when he's on the floor for the season, that you can tell that he's he's let go of the swing behind him. He just hasn't fully grasped the one that's ahead of him yet. And I, he's kind of in liminal space. Like, I don't know if he will fully grasp that one ahead of him yet because you can see moments like against the Hawks, even though the Pacers scored 150, there was like a three-possession stretch where he gave up screen rejections to DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray bullied him. It was like three layups in a row. They took a timeout, and then Ben came out. And similarly last night, he... Four possessions in a row, the the Celtics ran split action, targeting him and Tyrese, where basically like you're giving the ball to Al Horford at the elbow or Jason Tatum at the elbow and Derek White screening away. They were putting those two guys into off-ball screening action intentionally to try to target Ben. Like that stuff is still happening. So I think that the overall best fit a lot of times when you're looking at Tyrese is going to be somebody who can either run offense for you so that Tyrese can start away from the ball and get back to the ball or is going to be a very strong defender or is going to have shooting gravity. Ben has started to make strides in some of those areas, but he's not to the level yet of what uh, Buddy and Andrew are doing, even though he has had some very good moments and I think overall probably has the higher ceiling if he was able to hit on everything that he shows that he's capable of in a consistent way. So it makes the conversation a lot harder, and this is why I don't envy being in the front office, because when you're asking me, like, would you be willing to put those guys on the table? It's like, ah, 
I feel like I just I need a few more months of information to see what they look like at the end of the season so that I would know better, you know, where the fits are at. Because like it's easier to be like, hey, you know, Ben's taking a lot of steps forward. We have you have Tyrese at the point guard position. You still have TJ on this roster. The Raptors could certainly use a point guard. I think Andrew Nemard would be well would be wonderful for them and and feel comfortable doing it. But if Ben doesn't, and then you've given up who again, who I think is your most complete defender on a roster that's already defensive starved you might have some buyer's remorse there. I would I would have buyer's remorse. I don't think I would be able to give up Andrew Nimhart in this trade just because of what I how I believe in him so much. But Jairus Walker is another story because you can kind of talk me into yeah. trading him or keeping him because it's, it's tough because he is 19 years, 20 years old, power forward, position of need. And what you saw in college is a lot of stuff you kind of want with that power forward spot with the Pacers. But You've highlighted several times. I've talked to different people, and and you can kind of just tell he is just not ready yet. And and with where this Pacers team is at, in, in terms of their overall, like where they're trying to get to, he doesn't really seem to align with how they are trying to get into the playoffs and be a playoff team. And that's where it's kind of hard for him to find that spot in the rotation and get those minutes to kind of develop. So, is that where you're at with him? Because I feel like it's going to take Jarrett probably at least three years, I would assume, for him to like you feel up to speed with him and hope that he can become what you're hoping him he can become. But in three years from now, that's, that's a, that's a ways away. And it feels like a long time because just in two years now, you've seen Tyrese take this team from being out of the playoffs to a playoff team. So that to me is like why I think the Pacers are more willing to part ways with Jarius at this point. And the fact that they were already looking to trade out of that eighth overall pick seventh overall pick on draft day before they eventually made that pick. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Jairus is that what Tyrese said at Media Day, right? When he was asked, what was your takeaway from Team USA? And his answer was, I'm tired of losing. He yeah. clearly wants to win. He's taken his game to another level. And I think with Jairus, some that gets lost in translation, and I'll admit that, like, I missed the mark somewhat on his pre-draft evaluation because I was very impressed with his off-ball defensive instincts at Houston. Houston's scheme and what he did at college with being a very aggressive trapping blitzing scheme meant that he had to be very proactive as the low man and meant that he had to be up there and ready. And a lot of times he would be a tagger and he might still be able to get back and get a skip pass. And I was very impressed by that. The Pacers scheme is not that they don't do a lot of blitzing. They, especially to begin the year, they were, the low man stayed home a lot of the time, but you still have to be able to show and provide help. Even when you are defending two versus two, you still have to be active as a defender. And so that's a pretty big uh, adjustment that Jarris had to make. And I think that it's fair. I mean, he's only 20 years old. I just want to make clear to everybody listening. I still like Jarris's tools. I still like Jarris the player. It's not me trying to pick on him. It's just that when I'm getting responses that are like, oh, if they would have thrown him out there against Kawhi Leonard, like he was their best chance to get stops. I'm like, okay, there's possessions in the G League where he's not staying in front of Hamadou Diallo. So I think it's really unfair to think that you're going to throw Jairus out there against a former finals MVP and that he's going to be getting stops in isolation, let alone what I'm seeing as some of his off-ball defensive lapses. And what Rick Carlisle himself said when he was asked as to why he isn't playing, and he's like, I need him to stop with some of the willy-nilly gambles. And that's the thing that stands out a lot of the time. That it's like, yeah, you can point out, this is not a good defensive roster for the Pacers, but there's a difference between like, you know, Obi Toppin getting beat at the four spot, which Obi has obviously been removed from the starting lineup since then, where it's like, I have no hip flexibility and I'm not going to be able to stay in front on a switch and I'm Jairus and I'm for an inex inexplicable reason, like hounding the, the ball handler and just lunging for a steal on the way up the court, or I'm 
going from the corner and trying to provide extra help that's redundant because that's not even where the tag's supposed to be, or I'm breaking from schemes and other spots that's compromising the defense. And you could see that even in the extended minutes against Minnesota, where he lunged to shoot a passing lane that compromised the defense. And now he's out of the play. And I think that it's fair for Rick to say that because when you are a team that's trying to win games, that's something that Jairus is going to have to work on before he's ready to be thrown out there in, in regular minutes. So I was kind of to the point where I would have agreed with the fan base if the skid would have continued to happen. And like, this is a very tough schedule in January. If they got to the end of January and they weren't making strides, then yeah, I think that you do need to start finding like some regular minutes for Jairus and be thinking towards development. But as long as they're winning games, I think it's okay that he's getting minutes in the G league right now and getting minutes mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. Like I, I think that that's all right. And yeah, I don't, I agree with what you said, Alex. Like, I think it's going to take some time. And if you think that you're a team that, you know, if you believe in your historically great offense, if you believe in Tyrese keeping up what he's done as a legitimate MVP candidate, then, then you're potentially looking for an upgrade. I mean, they do need to find an answer at the four spot because I think as an archetype, Jairus is what you're looking there at the NBA level. I think that we can look around and look at like John Collins or a Christian Wood and see that like offense first forwards like what Obi Toppin is don't necessarily have as much value in the playoffs as what you're hoping that Jairus will be. But the idea of Jairus and the reality of Jairus, there's still a pretty big gap between those two things right now. So I think if an opportunity is out there, the Pacers would be remiss if they're not making calls about OG and, and Siakam. But if if the offers are too rich for the reasons that both of us just said, then I don't think that they're, I, I also don't think they're in a, in a place where they absolutely have to make that move. I think it'd be, I'd be like, great. If they got Pascal Siakam, I'd be like, great. If they don't get Pascal Siakam because the ask is too much, I'd be like, that's okay too. But I can definitely see that Pascal Siakam would make them a better basketball team for reasons that I pointed out in several articles. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a player right now that is, going to be hitting free agency that you're really trying to say, we have to prove something to him. I mean, uh, Halliburton is signed. That max extension, hey, that has not kicked in yet. So I don't think they should feel that pressure. But at the same point, this team has exceeded expectations and is so gifted offensively. I feel that they would be doing this team a disservice to not make a move. But right now, we were talking about not being able to find the playing time to get our first round pick, you know, our eighth overall pick, the the amount of minutes that he needs. The Pacers also have two first round picks scheduled for this year. Does it look like there is no scenario where the Pacers can go through with drafting one to two more players and actually expect for them to be able to succeed? Does it feel that a move has to be made involving one to two of those picks whether it's at the deadline or this offseason, because it just feels there is way too many mouths to feed and not enough time to develop all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're going to need to make a consolidation move regardless. Because when Bruce and Andrew are both healthy, this is what we lightly touched on in the prior podcast, I don't really know, like, there's not a clear answer for who shouldn't be playing. Like, I don't think anybody's provided you with a reason that it's like, oh, that's that's the guy who you cut from the rotation or like, oh, that's that's going to be easy to remove them. And and like we said, I think that's in part the reason why they went double big. I don't think it's the sole reason, but it was hard to tell Isaiah Jackson after how he had been playing of like, oh, you're just not going to play anymore. The same way it's going to be hard. Like, I kind of presume that they will probably continue starting Bruce and that Andrew will go back to what his role was, which was backup point guard potentially. And then it's going to be a choice 
as it had been between TJ and, and Andrew, of which one of them is going to get to do things from game to game. I would lean towards Andrew in those settings because I think that there are some things that Andrew does better and it's better for your long term there. But regardless, like it's it's already difficult to find playing time before they use those picks. So I, I think that a consolidation move needs to happen at a certain point in time. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Jake Fisher said that the Pacers were like pretty much unwilling to trade TJ McConnell. And I kind of understand it just because of the the injury concern they've had with Andrew this mm-hmm. year. But at the same time, you know, it's it's no, that's funny because I had read another report that said that he was the most likely player to be moved. That's, that's why you can't tell anything this time of year. Yeah, it's always a it's always a crapshoot. I know you don't like doing fake trades, but I'm gonna mm-hmm. let you grade my trade. Um, I, I try to come up with a fair Pascal Siakam trade for the Pacers, and I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts on if this deal was uh, made by the Pacers. So Indiana is going to trade Buddy Hield, Obi Toppin, Jairus Walker, Jordan Mora. The first round pick they got from the Nuggets last year, so the bad one, and then a 2026 first rounder for Pascal Siakam and Jalen McDaniels. I think it's interesting. I'll bring up to you guys. It seems like Buddy is always the player included in the salary matching here. Why? Why isn't more consideration given to the fact that Bruce Brown could be the salary matching in a deal? I think it's more along the lines of you know Bruce is going to bring more defense to the Pacers. We are already a bad defensive team. Is that the approach, or is it more, we just lured him in in free agency? Are you already going to trade the guy that chose the Pacers? Or then it's, are you really going to re-sign Buddy, who's hitting free agency? I think there's a couple different avenues you can go with that one, but I think that that's why all signs point to probably Buddy over Bruce, but it very well could be Bruce Brown. Either way, the Pacers only have about three contracts above nine million dollars and turner doesn't feel like he's going to be one of them yeah i mean i i know that buddy hasn't shot the ball as well overall especially like again last night i think he was like three of ten but he and pascal really would be a wonderful fit on on the same roster like there's a lot of things that you could do with the two of them but yeah i mean i think that the pacers would like that be to be the offer i would be very surprised if the toronto raptors uh would agree to that without andrew nemar being involved i'll just put it yeah. that way i think that that's the player that they're going to be interested in so basically, you're thinking if it's not Nimhart in a trade, they don't do it with the Pacers. I'd be surprised. Okay. Unless they just unless they really don't think that they're confident that Pascal is going to stay and they're not getting better offers elsewhere. I mean, again, the the, the reporting there's kind of been a little bit all over the place because at one point it's like Atlanta's out and Sacramento's out, and then it's like, oh no, actually there's ten teams. Oh wait, no, the Golden State Warriors are a sleeper team. <laughs> yep. Who knows. It'll be somebody random. That's what's going to happen. It'll be somebody random that calls like the day of the deadline and they give them a deal that's probably just something that makes a little more sense. I don't know. It's It always feels like when there's so much smoke around one team with one player, it doesn't usually happen. But that's just, I mean, it, it kind of happened for the Pacers when they traded Levert to the Cavs because that was that's a lot of That's the exact smoke. reason I was going to bring up. But <laughs> that we, we rarely, like it was when the Pacers are involved, though, with acquiring somebody, how many times do we hear the Pacers, you know, interest in John Collins or somebody? It, it, it just... No matter what, it feels like the Pacers are always like attached to certain guys, and they never end up making that trade for him. I don't know if that's hey, it how... was like it was De'Aaron Fox for like a month until it was Tyrese Halliburton. Exactly. So. Maybe we trade for Scotty Barnes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that would surprise me, but it, it's definitely going to be interesting. I, I'm not going to put you through, uh, you know, a, a mock trade because they, they seem to be all over the place. Either way, I think we're all in agreement that this Pacers team is good enough that they should push 
push forward and make a deal, whether it is some consolidating the roster, whether it is using some of those first-round picks that you simply just don't have time to develop. The Pacers are in a good spot. They're ahead of schedule, but the other day that we mentioned, they were as high as the fourth seed. To me, that feels like it's not sustainable unless you make a move. So for now, Siakam, that's the big name. We'll find out if something changes by the next time that we have you on, Caitlin. But before we wrap up, please let everybody know where they could find you on social media and some of the incredible content that you're putting out. Right. So my Twitter handle, X handle is at C2 underscore Cooper and the links to my Patreons there, patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote. I also just want to say thank you to both of you again for having me on and inviting me to come on regularly. I really appreciate it. No, we, we love it. you. Yeah. Yep. It's a, uh, it's a great insight for us and for the listener. And you know, we, we didn't get to do our, our movie draft for Christmas movies. So we'll have to save that till next year. I'll try to catch up on some Hallmark flicks so I can feel like I can uh, <laughs> compete with you, Caitlin. But we always do food something here. So before we go, any hot food takes over the holidays? Anything new you try? Anything that you're just looking to maybe dive into this year in terms of uh, food takes? Uh, for Christmas, my sister gave me 10 more Hippo Pops, which okay. the Hippo is a specialty gourmet popsicle shop located in St. Augustine, Florida. And she actually went there to the brick and mortar store over the summer Obviously didn't drive home with popsicles in her car that many miles away, but they, they ship and order them. So she had, I did like a thing last April where she bought me these as a surprise and I compared them to the past Pacer teams. And at the that. end of the video, I was like, you know, if anybody wants to get me these as a gift for Christmas or my birthday, which was a reference to her, of course, nobody else was expected to get me a gift. <laughs> That's what she got me. So I was very, very happy with that present. There was another one of the banana ones in the in the 10 pack. There was grapefruit. There was blueberry grapefruit. There was strawberry lemonade. Like we're just hitting just straight bangers with those 10 popsicles right there. <laughs> I love it. I know it's cold right now, but clearly that does not make a difference for you. I might have to get back on the popsicle grind. It's been a bit, so uh, I will definitely have to update you. But I tell you, it's, maybe I told you, maybe I didn't. Maybe it was Alex. It was the smallest world. I, when I opened up my my freezer, all of a sudden those popsicles that you always talk about, they were in there, and and okay. I had no idea how they got in there. But I mailed my, them to you. Secretly. It must have been. I think it's one of those classic things of you just. Once you've never heard of a brand, you just don't really think about it. And then when you finally hear about it, it's everywhere. And that's exactly how I feel about Outshine Popsicles. They are wonderful. If you don't have access to Nicey Treat or the Hippo Pops, they're just waiting for you at the grocery store. We got to tie this together with popsicle flavors. If the Pacers made a trade for Pascal Siakam, what kind of popsicle uh, would you say that Pascal would be for the Pacers? He's, he'd be mango with tahini. Because he'd be okay. polarizing. Some people would like it. Some people would really probably Love dislike it. it and be angry. And he's spicy. Spicy pee for a reason. So you know, it's funny. I, I legit thought eat. you were going to say this answer. <laughs> I bring up the mango with the tahini yeah. a lot. That That is an experiential flavor, I can tell you that. Like, I didn't dislike the flavor, but having hot ice in your mouth is certainly something. It's so weird. That I've never tried. I will have to let you know if I ever do, but... Interesting. Hey, spicy pea. Yeah, I mean, hey, only right that it has that uh, that type of flavor to it. That's going to be my goal. If he gets traded to the Pacers, he's going to come on to my Patreon and eat a mango with <laughs> I feel like I feel like he would, but it'll be spicy interesting. Spicy popsicles with spicy pea. Uh, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good title right there. <laughs> that, might be the, that might be the title of this episode. So, uh, 
spicy popsicles and spicy pee. I love it. But uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on, like Pachi said, and uh, we'll have to do it again next month. And you know, maybe around this time, we'll have a trade to talk about. So that could be a fun wrinkle. But again, thank you so much for coming on, everybody. We will talk to y'all later this week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.